So one of the biggest fights my husband and I ever got in was right after we got married. So imagine this, two people just came off their wedding, had a super high, so excited about being together. And we get in this huge fight and what's it about? Money, of course, because couples definitely fight about money. So here's the juicy story. I went off to a conference and I was looking through our online, our app, and I saw a charge for $1,000 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I thought to myself, well, I didn't make that, but I know who did. My husband picked up the phone, a little shaking on the other end, told me that he just had to buy two tickets for the opening game of the Cleveland Cavaliers. This was right after they had just won the championship. That means, though, when I did the math, that he spent $500 on each ticket, and I was absolutely livid. So long story short, those tickets went right back. But couples do fight about money, and I think it's a big reason why it's a huge part of women's health and why I'm doing this podcast. So listen in. We're going to talk about all things women's financial health. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in today. I want to start out with one big disclaimer. I am a little sick. I can tell I sound super congested, and it makes me a little vulnerable doing this podcast, but you know what? I'm just going to forge ahead, and I'm going to get this podcast out to you because I think it's really important, and if I don't seize the day, the day is going to end, and I'd rather end on a good, productive note. So sorry, I have a little bit of a sinus congestion, so you're going to have to deal with my nasally voice during this episode. Disclaimer number two is that I am not a financial planner, a financial analyst, a financial anything. I'm just a regular old citizen. I'm just a physician out here trying to get my finances straight. But one thing that I am is very interested in my finances, and I do take a very active role in my family's finances because I think it is really important, and overall, it does affect our health. So as I was sitting down to record this episode, I wanted to make it really clear that while I am not an expert, there's lots of experts out there and there's lots of great books that you can read and I'll recommend a few that I have read. And this is really a little bit more of my own personal strategy that I'm sharing with you today because I am somewhat proud of my financial literacy and I want you to be proud and excited of your financial literacy. So I think this is extremely important for our health because finances are a big stressor. They're a big stressor to many, many people. And it doesn't matter your income level. Everyone can get very stressed about their finances. If it's not what to do with it, it's where it's going or who's going to manage it. And there is this is why there's just such a huge market for books and teachers um, and people who could take advantage of you when you don't know what to do with your own money. So it's a big stressor, and stress ultimately plays a huge role in our health. So it does come back to your health. 
Many, many women also find finances are very scary to them. Now, I think that this is not always true. For example, in my household, I actually take care of the finances. In many households, many women do, but for some households, men take care of the finances, and this can make women feel a little insecure or nervous or scared if they don't know their own financial resources at home. So it affects our stress, and it affects our lives in a big way. One of the main things I think about finances is I break it down into two things, actually. One is, can I do the things that I want to do on a daily basis and still be in a positive or still be saving more than I'm really spending? And number two, will I be set for retirement? So those are the two big fields that I think about when I really break it down. Do I have the money for the things that I need in life and then What extra do I have for things that I want in life? And am I going to be set for retirement? And I want you to kind of think about those. If money and the nitty gritty details kind of makes you a little nervous or antsy, I want you to think about those two big principles. So I'm going to keep kind of coming back to that throughout this episode. So I think it's really important for our health as women to stay up to date and to know our family's resources on our financial health. So the first thing I want you to do is to take action. And I don't know where you are in your own financial journey. Some of you are going to be farther than others. You're going to know exactly where every penny goes. And some of you are going to be on the other spectrum where you may have a partner or a significant other who's been doing the finances for you for a long time. And you don't know very much about it. And you maybe even love being in that blissful land of happiness and unknowing because there is something kind of probably nice about feeling like someone else is taking care of it for you. But, you know, we really need to know our own finances. So I want you to start by taking action. So what do I mean by that? I want you to find out where your money goes if you don't know. So one way that I found personally to organize everything is to use Mint. So Mint is an online program. It also has a really nice app that I log into almost every single day. Some people might call it obsessive. I don't. I think it's, I've actually caught in very many, you know, charges that otherwise wouldn't have gone or charges that I would have otherwise missed by checking my finances every day. So I use mint.com and there's many other platforms like it. What you do is you actually put in all your different bank accounts and you put them all in there. You also put your credit cards, you put any major investments like your your retirement, um, and then you put in big property like your home if you have one, you know, and etc. And it really helps you quantify your net worth as well as to see where you stand in terms of your cash flow every single month. So you really need to start by just simply getting organized. Again, there's lots of books on exactly how to do this. Other people are going to recommend a really nice file cabinet where you keep all your important documents. And I think all of that, taking it a step further than just, you know, organizing it on a platform is really helpful. But for all intents and purposes, if you're just getting started, definitely open something like a Mint account because that is going to help you track your spending every single day. And also it's going to let you set a budget for things. And I'm going to come back to that and tell you sort of what I set budgets on and how I think that that's really helpful. Now, point number two is 
This is touchy for some people, but I'm going to tell you my stance and my stance only since I'm the only one talking into this microphone. But if you have, if you're married, um, and if you have a long-term partner where you're basically married, I really do think you should share your finances. Yes, I know I took a stand and yes, of course, this is what I do and I'm biased, but there's some deep rooted ideas of why I think you should do that. First of all, if you're in a partnership, then be in a partnership. Your finances should be a part of your partnership. To me, I think that it would drive me crazy knowing where money was going and what it was being spent on if finances weren't combined. For example, the way this could affect, say, I'm going to just use a marriage, for example. Um, If my husband is spending X amount of money on clothes that I don't know about, um, then that's more money that I'm going to have to use to spend on something like food for our kids. Whereas if I knew how much he had and we set a limit for how much he was going to spend on his clothes, then we wouldn't have to overspend in sort of on food. So what I'm kind of saying is either way you pay for it if you don't know what your spouse, specifically in this case, you know, your spouse is doing with his or her finances. Now, does it leave secrecy and surprises to the wayside? Absolutely. And has it ruined a couple of gifts? Of course it has. Now, gifts are not my love language. So for some of you, you might need to find some other ways to do that. But I really, really think if you are in a marriage, you should be sharing your finances. And, you know, when I think about like thinking about a couple's goals, the biggest goal should be retirement. Why the heck do we all work? It's so that someday we don't have to. So retirement is kind of something I think about almost every day because the goal of working is to pay myself first. Of course, I love my job, but to pay myself first um, so that I have money so that I can retire. But when you retire, what is it that you want to do? You know, do you want to live in France? Do you want to live on the beach? Do you want to travel around the world in an RV? What age do you want to retire? These are all things you and your spouse should really be deciding together and not just leaving to chance. So if you're not deciding together what you want to do, or if you're just, if you are deciding together what you want to do, you should be sharing your finances all along the way. I just, to me, I can't get a clear picture of where my money is going, how much money is being spent, if it's not combined. And I think Venmoing or sending my husband money for something like car payment just sounds crazy when it just could be streamlined and we do everything together and track our expenses together. There's a great book called Rich Couples Finished first. And it's a really great message on why couples should share their finances. So I will link that in this podcast. Now, if you're not in a marriage, then I don't know how much of this I would really push on you because you're not legally bound to each other. Um, and so you definitely can still separate things. If you're in a long-term partnership, however, and you don't foresee yourself getting married, but you do want to spend the rest of your life with that person, you might also want to consider some hybrid model as well. And if you're single, well then heck, you don't really have to listen to too much of this, but for anyone who is single, who does want to get into a partnership or a marriage again, it's really helpful to think about how your spending habits might change 
once you are married. So I gave you the example of my husband who does like sporting events and does like to spend a lot of money on those, whereas I really don't. I don't have the same enjoyment out of spending, well, just think about how many shoes you could buy for the price of going to one basketball game. But, you know, tomato, tomato. But again, when you do have to share resources, you know, it definitely can make a big difference on how you spend your money and then Overall, just how you work together as a couple and how many less arguments you have about finances. Now, of course, one way to argue less is to not be involved, but I definitely don't think that's the right path. I want you to be involved. All right, so what do I do? I'm going to just tell you what I do. So your biggest weapon is your income. Your income is not only your biggest weapon, that is your key to wealth. Now, there's a huge difference between having a high income and having wealth, right? So let's just break it down to the bare minimum. If someone's making $200,000 a year and spending it all, even though that's a lot of money and they're spending it all, they're not accumulating any wealth. And so their retirement is not going to look very good. I don't see them having a lot of money to live in France or in South Africa or wherever it is that they want to retire. So wealth is really about how you save, spend, and flex the money that you do have. And again, I am by no means a financial assistant, financial planner, or financial expert, but I do have some experience doing this in my own life. So I'm just going to spread my basic tips for success. First thing you need to do is automate your savings. If you never see it, it won't be a problem. A lot of people do automate their savings because they have a 403B or some other type of retirement if they work at a big institution or corporation. If you're self-employed, you probably already have a system set up to pay yourself first, but always, always, always automate it. If you never see it, you will never miss it. So an example of this is in when I lived in Ohio, there's something called Rita tax. And Rita tax is a city tax that's 2% of your income at the end of the year. And what is what everybody hates about it is that it's not taken out of your account. And so at the end of the year, you just owe 2% of your income. And for a lot of people, if you're not ready for that, that is a huge amount of money you kind of have to dig up and just give to the city. Kind of like charitable giving, but you know, so if you never see it, if you automate it, you automate your savings, you never miss it. So the goal is, I really think the goal is somewhere around 20%. Now, some people can save more, they save 30%, and that is awesome. That is a lot. And I will be totally honest with you. My family right now is just inching our way to 10 to 15%, but my ultimate goal is to get to 20%. Now we also automate a little bit of money into an investment, a separate investment. We also automate money into our kids' college savings account. Now I will tell you, if that money came into my pool of money in my bank account, my checking account, it would be really hard. And each month I would say, oh, they don't need this much money for college. Like, oh, we don't, we can save next month for more retirement. You will not. In fact, things are going to get more expensive. And as you get older, you might find that you might like more luxurious things and you're going to have a greater tendency to spend your money on that. So you got to automate anything that you want in savings and never, ever see it. 
Point number two is try and get a good accountant so that you don't owe a lot of money in taxes. And again, this is obvious, but again, taxes are really, really confusing, even to a smart human like me. But if you get a good accountant, then you won't have to owe a big amount of money at the end of the year. So definitely get yourself a good accountant. All right, so then what do I do with the rest of the money that's in my checking account? Well, first off, I make a list every single month of my bills. In fact, I have sitting in front of me my handwritten notebook. I handwrite it every single month right before I'm about to get paid, and this is exactly what I do. Over on the left-hand column, I have what are my bills. So I have my car, my husband's car, our car insurance, the electric bill, the gas bill, the phone bill, the internet bill, our gym bill, my insurances, our life insurance, even down to like Spotify, HBO. Yes, we watch a lot of HBO and Netflix. And I put all of those on the left-hand corner. And at the very top of each page, I write my gross income and my husband's gross income after our taxes are removed. And then over on the right-hand side, I put how much we're going to put in what I call our vacation fund each month. So that's right. I'll come back to that. Each month, I put a little bit of money in our vacation fund. How much is going into our home fund? And this is a miscellaneous fund. So I put money into this home fund. And then how much is going for daycare? You might not have that expense and good for you. How much is going to our mortgage? And then I have a miscellaneous column. I'll tell you what was in my miscellaneous column. It was a little bill for the dentist. And to that point, maximize any type of money sheltering that you can. So of course, retirement should be maxed out as well as any type of healthcare savings or a flexible spending account savings, which we did max out. But let's just say my family has some dental problems. So we did have a little bit of a bill we had to pay out of pocket for the dentist. So that's my miscellaneous bill. I also have our food and miscellaneous for the month, and that is kind of budgeted. And so it feels like we're on a budget, and that feels horrible. And we do make a pretty good income. But yes, I do put my family on a food and miscellaneous budget every month. So the miscellaneous part is just the miscellaneous things, right? You need cotton balls, you need toilet paper, you need, you know, entrance to the zoo, you need, you know, you need things throughout the month, of course. And I do set aside a budget. And it's really helpful because if you do not, you will blow it every single month. That's just what we are as humans. We definitely like to consume and we consume without thinking. So if you do give yourself a budget, you've organized yourself and you're watching it on your account every single day, you will definitely notice when you're getting close to that budget line. As I've had more kids, this budget has had to go up a little bit each year, but that's just more mouths to feed, more diapers to buy. And so unfortunately, I'm going to have to increase that a little bit each month. But it's really important that I want you to know that I every month we have a budget for how much money we spend on food and miscellaneous things. Now, the last week of the month, my husband and I always played this game of like, who can spend less money? And it's a little bit goofy. And it also makes us feel like we're really poor. And that's just kind of a subjective feeling. Yes, we do actually actually have the money to go out to dinner that week or to do something really spectacular. 
But because I've kind of put us on this artificial monthly budget that last week, we've definitely spent almost all of it. And so we're really trying to be cognizant to just spend less money that week until we kind of get paid next month. This works out really, really well for anyone who gets paid monthly. But if you get paid bi-weekly, you can do the same thing. Just kind of work out the math in your head. So I want to go back to something really interesting I said before was that I have a vacation budget each month. And this is really, really smart, I think, because instead of just dipping from your savings or spending everything on a credit card, every single month I put a little bit of money in. And the way I kind of calculate this is because a vacation is a want and not a need, I look at how much money I have after I've done my automated retirement and savings after I've paid all the bills that I must pay. That's why they're all in the left-hand column. Those things all have to get paid. Then I calculate how much I can put into my fun rainy day home account and my vacation account. And I also do a little bit of math based on like, okay, if we're going to go on two vacations a year, it's going to cost X amount of money divided by 12. This is sort of how much I want to put in there so that when we go on that vacation, we already have the cash to do it. And after we've gotten our plane tickets in our hotel, I do kind of have a set amount of money of how much I want to spend for those couple of days. Yes, we usually spend a little bit over that, but again, kind of keeping yourself in check is really helpful because as humans, we are going to overconsume. It's just what we love to do. Like who doesn't love to overconsume? So I do the same thing with this home and miscellaneous, and I use the word miscellaneous a lot because I don't like to get too, too down to it because that just also makes it a little bit too obsessive. But let's say you need a new area rug. Let's say you need a new TV. You kind of need a big ticket item, but you don't want to have to go drag out your savings um, or take, of course, anything out of your, your automated savings. Just consider that gone. So I have a little bit of money that I put in there every single month so that I know if I need a big ticket item for my house or let's say my kid wants to all of a sudden go to a camp that's going to cost $500 or $1,000, I have this little savings account that I can pull from. And that has been really, really helpful in keeping me on track and not overspending. Now, we also have a high-yield savings account for which I do shuffle a little bit of money each month, and those are for big emergencies. So for example... We needed to cut down a tree in the front of our house, and that was going to cost a good amount of money. In fact, wow, cutting down trees is really expensive. So when we have a big emergency or a big purchase that we really need to make, I will take some out of my savings account. I don't recommend keeping way too much money in there because it's not going to accrue enough interest. So if you do have any excess money, even after all your wants and needs, put some more into an investment account that you can draw from either later or when you retire, and that is definitely what you should do. Now, I definitely don't want to give advice on what type of retirements, investments, all of that. That is not my expertise by any means. This is really just to give you a brief, quick outline of how to start getting organized about your finances. All right, now let's talk about the least favorite thing, which is debt. My uncle is one of the, or was, he's now retired, was one of the uh, Western or upstate New York bankruptcy judges. And when I was little, he used to teach me about debt. So I was always afraid to have credit card debt. In fact, I never opened a credit card. I think my first credit card might have been 
either in medical school or after medical school. And you know what? I actually had bad credit. Whether that's right or wrong is definitely to be argued, but I had bad credit because I had no credit history. So one of my advisors along the way recommended that I start paying for my groceries on a credit card, and I was just blown away. I was just so confused. I'd always used my debit card, so but I knew I had to build credit. So I started to use my credit card, and I would run home, and I would try to pay for it, and I tried to pay for it so quickly, it hadn't even shown up on my credit card statement yet. So I was definitely very debt adverse. And then I got married. And then I accrued some debt. And it's not just my husband. I also did take out loans from medical school. But when I was in medical school and in residency, I wasn't paying terribly too close attention to them. So it wasn't until about when I got together with my husband, I realized debt is a thing and it's difficult. You feel like you're putting money into a black hole. And then when there's interest, you feel like you're putting money into a black hole in a black hole. And it, it can be extraordinarily discouraging and it can feel like it can you can never pay it off. A strategy that really helped me and my husband was the snowball effect. And you can also read great books by Dave Ramsey on getting out of debt, of which I have read and I found them extremely, extremely helpful. You can't get out of debt unless you start getting organized and you know exactly where you stand. So you've got to do the worst thing ever, which is just sit down, get organized, and figure out where you owe money. Then what I would recommend doing is trying to see which has the highest interest rate and start by attacking that with even just $50 more or $100 more. Or for example, for me, when I was paying off our debt, we didn't have a very big vacation fund. In fact, we almost had no vacation fund. Everything that would have gone to the vacation fund went to pay off the debt. Same thing with the home account. We didn't have a home account until we paid off a lot of our credit card debt. And that's what I recommend doing. You you know, student loans are one thing, but credit card debt, I definitely want you to definitely prioritize getting yourself out of credit card debt. Now, there's lots of different strategies. Do you save or do you do you save and pay off debt or do you just pay off debt and then save? I definitely don't know what's right or what's wrong, but I know what worked for me is that I had to do a little bit of both. It didn't feel right not saving money. Of course, also money does accumulate over time. So I really like the idea of still saving money, but still attacking my debt at the same time. You could have definitely... I could have definitely paid off our debt faster if we didn't save at all for retirement, but that just didn't sit well with me. So there's many, many different strategies, and I don't want to strategize. I'm literally literally just telling you what worked for me. Now, another little trick is that you, if you've got, let's say you have a credit card bill for $5,000, and you have a credit card bill for $600, but that $600 is a really teeny interest rate. So you could argue either way, but... I would pay off that $600 first because it's just going to feel like a win. You're just going to give yourself a quick win paying off one credit card and then going to the other one. So, you know, a lot of things will tell you definitely start with a higher interest rate. But if you've got a small one that you can just knock out, knock that one out because it's going to feel like such a win. When we paid off our credit card debt, it was so exciting. It felt so great. Now, have we paid off our student loans? Absolutely not. We are still working on that. And again, there's many different types of strategies for it. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of insight in how my family has tackled debt. And we have, instead of shuffling money into our sort of fun activities and putting those on more credit cards, we paid off our credit card 
debt first. And actually, if you really want to know how I did it, I did the math really, really, really. I divided it by thirds. I put a teeny bit in vacation and a little bit more on my debt and still saved. And that's because I knew if I don't go on one vacation, I'm really just, I don't feel like I'm living my best life. And so we put aside, I think it was $1,500 for one vacation that year. And that's not a lot of money because you can spend a lot of money on a vacation, but we made it work and we paid off our credit card. And so there's definitely lots of different ways you can do it. This just how I do it. Now, my husband and I do work together, and sometimes when uh, it's not looking great, we do sort of switch it up a little bit. For example, when we moved to Boston, it is an extraordinarily high cost of living. And so we did, again, we had to scale back on our vacation fund and our home and miscellaneous fund because we need more money for things like parking, something that we totally took for granted in of in Ohio. But it all definitely does work out at the end of the day, especially if you are keeping your eye on the prize, which should be your retirement, what a happy, fulfilling life looks like for you. And for everyone, it's different. Just like for every patient I see in the office, no one size fits all. Another great piece of advice I once heard was live for a day the life that you think you want to live, you know, that's your best life that you want to live for your retirement. So for example, if you think you want to live on the beach, go, you know, your next vacation, spend it on on the beach and think to yourself, is this where I want to live for the rest of my life? If you think you want a Ferrari when you retire and that's what you want to save all your money for, go rent a Ferrari for one day, drive it around and see if you really do want to live that life. I actually think this came from Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. I might be wrong, but it definitely resonated with me is because what is your end goal? What is it that you are saving that 20% for? It's for it's for this thing. And nothing's saying you can't work when you retire because God knows I'll still be podcasting or, or blogging or something when I retire. But you want to think of money as a tool, a tool to do the things that you want in your daily life, a tool to have an awesome retirement, whether it's by yourself or whether it's with your children or whether it's with your spouse. For everyone, it looks absolutely different. But money is definitely a tool, and you can either think of it as a positive one or a negative one. And whether you think of it as positive or negative, either way, you are right. All right, those little footsteps y'all just heard was my dog running by me saying, I think it's time for her to go outside to go to the bathroom. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I had so much fun recording this. I hope you got a little window into what I do on a daily basis. If it was helpful for you, I'd love to find out. If it wasn't, I'd love to find out. So let me know your thoughts or if you do something differently. I always am open to learning about new financial solutions and new financial philosophies. If you like this podcast, please leave me some stars. And if you can go so far as writing a review, that would be so helpful so that more women can see and listen to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you always for your support. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye now.